Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to pick up at verse 18, I'm going to read down through verse 24, where the Bible says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, and heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So the title of the message this morning is Approaching the Living God. Approaching the Living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercy and your grace that is extended to us day by day. We thank you, Father, that we do have opportunity and privilege to approach unto thee. Though thou art holy, sinless, perfect in every way, yet we have the opportunity and privilege through our Lord Jesus Christ to approach, not only to approach, but to enter into relationship and fellowship with thee. What a precious privilege we have. Lord, as we look into the Word of God today, we'd help us, Father, to realize the privilege that we do have and the importance of understanding that there is a way to approach Thee. There's a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, Father, help us to understand there's only one way of approach through Christ our Savior, the mediator of the new covenant. We pray as you encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, how to approach God is a subject with a wide variety of opinions in our world. You know, there was a day when men had a fear of God, even though they maybe didn't know Him. There was a fear of respect for God. The Lord's day was honored and respected. You know, the Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, Paul penned, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts and meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. One old preacher used to say that, you know, this, this verse kind of gives us the idea of the reason why people would not steal their neighbor's cow, neighbor's cow and tie it in the front yard for everybody to see. Because there's a law written in your heart, thou shalt not steal. But with, with breaking down and destroying of authority, of law enforcement, you know, men have become bold in our world. They're unashamed in their criminal activity. They're not even trying to hide it. Of course, I believe this was preceded with an attitude in churches toward God, presented by religious leaders, that God 
is not a judge. He's not discriminatory or absolute in his commandments. That's commonplace in churches. Or at least they call them churches. You know, the philosophy that he is, you know, he's the man upstairs or he is my co-pilot. I'm sorry, if the Lord's your co-pilot, he's not your savior. He's not your Lord. He isn't going to be your co-pilot. Or he's a God of love who never condemns. That's not what I find in the Bible. As much as we at many times want to think these ideas about God to be true, they are not. God is very discriminatory. But see, to justify our ideas, we've even changed the definition of the words to suit ourselves. New Webster's 1828 dictionary describes discriminate this way. To distinguish between or observe difference as to true or false, modesty or true or the righteous from the wicked. One of the words that does not contain in, in the definition, you can go through the whole definition of discriminatory in Webster's 1828 dictionary, you won't find this word partiality. Because God isn't partial. God's judgment is the same for everyone. He's no respective person. But the new modern definition of discriminatory, according to dictionary.com, includes the definition to show partiality. So, so nowadays, if you're discriminatory, if you, you, if you judge something is right or something is wrong, then you're discriminating or you're partial. That's what people think. But God is not partial. He's not a respecter of persons. You know, can a person discriminate based on partiality? Sure, men can, but not God. God is a God of justice and judgment, as is his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to understand that, just read the book of Revelation, it reveals him. But see, man wants a God he can manipulate and control, one to whom he can dictate, And in this passage before us, the Holy Spirit is contrasting the conditions of approach unto God from the perspective of the law given at Mount Sinai, and then the approach to God through the Son of God. And, 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 you know, it doesn't change who God is. It just shows us the only way we can approach unto God. God hasn't changed from Mount Sinai to now. It's just the new covenant mediator, a way of approach. So I want to look at three things. First of all, the impossibility of approaching God through the law. And we see this in verses 18 through 21. I notice several things here, of course, the condition of that approach. In verse 18, it says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor blackness unto blackness, and darkness and tempest. You know, what predicated this, this account that's given to us in the book of Exodus was that the people had told Moses that all that the Lord had said they would do. All the Lord says will do. You know, that was, that was what they said. You see, they had this image of God, and they wanted God to be congenial to them. And so he came down in a cloud to talk with them. Exodus 19, 
verse 16, it says, It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. You know, they would they would say, you know, oh yeah, we, we we want God to talk to us. You know, we want God to tell us all the things that we need to do. But when God appeared, you know what they were? They were scared to death. Kind of like a lot of people nowadays, you know, they 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 want to have their they want to know that they have eternal life, but when they find out what it really means to repent, they're saying, Well, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I really want him to be Lord of my life. I'm not sure I want him to submit to his leadership in my life. I still want to be able to do the things I want to do. And that's what we have here, these people. Exodus 20, 18 says, And all the people saw the thunderings and lightnings and noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. All of a sudden, they don't want near to God. They don't want to be close to Him. They want to be afar off from Him. You see, they were brought into view of the very presence of God. Not the person. God appeared in the cloud. In other words, he, His person was veiled. They couldn't see His person. But they were in His presence. And, and His presence, you know, His presence, they, they could not... They could not handle it. And, you know, he could be heard, but his person was veiled. And so the presence, even the presence of God was dreadful. It was a fearful sight. And they removed. They stood afar off. Even Moses said, you know, Moses said this. It really, you know, this is, this is something the Spirit of God obviously gave the Apostle Paul because I couldn't find this really in the Old Testament. But it says, And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Yet Moses didn't stand afar off. He went up into the mount. Because the Lord called him up and he went. So that was the condition. The counsel of the approach. Verse 19 and 20, And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. In other words, they're saying, look, don't come near. Don't come near to us anymore. You know, the, 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 you know being in God's presence was, is a holy, a, an awe, a, a thing of awe, a thing of great fear. And, you know, he says, even if an animal uh, were to enter the mount, verse 20 tells us, if a, so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dark. You know, even if an innocent animal, innocent animal touched the mountain, it was to be put to death. And, and really the counsel here is that sinful man cannot enter into the presence of God on his own. And we're going to see what is required is a mediator. A mediator. You see, the children of Israel at first said, Yo, you're sure everything that God says we will do, you know, come talk to us. When the presence of God appeared, they feared and quaked. You know, it kind of reminds me in the book of Revelation, chapter 20 talks about the great white throne judgment. 
I believe it will be the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on that throne. He's going to be the judge of the quick and the dead. And it says, And death and hell gave up the dead within, and they stand before God. And the books were opened. And everyone was not found written. And it says, and it says about this judge, From whom every face on the earth fled away from. In other words, they wanted to get away from him. They were terribly, they're going to be terribly frightened. You know, people today uh, 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 are arrogant and against God and, and mock God. But when that day, when they stand before God and in, are in his very presence, they're not going to be arrogant. They're going to be fearful. Because God is a consuming fire. We see also here, thirdly, the consequences of that attempt to approach God. Verses 20 and 21 says, They could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And so the consequence, the, 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 the realization here is, God, your presence is so dreadful. To sinful man, we can't endure it. We need somebody to act as a mediator. And, of course, what they said, eventually, you know, if you read the account of the book of Exodus, what they're going to say is, Moses, you go get the message for us, and then you tell it to us. We don't want to hear. We don't want to go near. We don't want to end this. We can't. Exodus 20, verse 19 says, They said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. You see, the law which they had boasted about by saying, All thou sayest we, do, we will do, very quickly they found to be unto their condemnation. And that is what the law does. It condemns and says... Cursed is everyone that continueth not. And all things written in the book of the law do them. You know, verse 20 there again says, For they could not endure. In Romans chapter 7, verses 9, through 9 and 10, Paul said, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. In other words, I was condemned to death because the law condemned me, judged me guilty as a sinner. And he says, In the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. See, the reality here is the children of Israel thought, Hey, we're God's chosen people. We're better than the rest of the world. And surely we can approach or we can be in the presence of God. But that changed the instant they had an experience with the presence of God. And they realized, oh, he is not like us. You know, Peter, the preposterous and boastful man that he was, when Jesus barred his boat, preached to the people from then told him to launch out and let down his net. Peter said, hey, I fished all night, taking nothing. But nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down a net. 
And he caught that great multitude of fishes, so many that the boat began to sink. And, and then, he, and then he, he, he came and fell at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, when he realized who Jesus was, he also realized who he was, a sinful man. You know, when we get a true understanding of who God is, it changes how we think about ourselves. And these people realize, look, we can't approach. We can't, well, we can't live in the presence of God because God is holy and we are not. So, we see, first of all, the impossibility of approaching to God through the law. Secondly, the, but the open, and, and I'm thankful for the buts in the Bible, aren't you? Verse 22 starts with a but. You know, we have an open invitation to God through the blood of sprinkling. And again, notice, I want to notice two things here. First of all, the identity of the blood. The identity of the blood. In verse uh, uh, 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things, than that of Abel. And again, we see a contrast here with the blood of Abel. By the way, this blood of Abel was not Abel's own blood. It's not referring to Abel's own blood that Cain shed. It's referring to the blood of the sacrifice that Abel offered in Genesis chapter 4. And, and you know, that he was instructed to give. You know, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 tells us, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. See, God accepted Abel's offering as a substitute and covering for his sin. It was a blood sacrifice. It was the life of an animal that he offered. However, Abel was never, and get this, Abel was never perfected by that sacrifice. It was simply recorded, and judgment was delayed, if you will, till Jesus came and picked up the tab and paid the penalty for the sin in full. You see, Abel's sin was only covered. Look at Look, if you will, at Romans chapter 3. And this is what it means in Romans chapter 3 when it talks about uh, the sins of those that are past. Romans 3, verses 25 and 26 says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That word propitiation has the idea of that, that God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. So God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Of course, we're talking about the blood of Christ. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Talking about the Old Testament saints right there. The Old Testament, those that are in the past. So there's remission or the taking away or cleansing thereof of the sins of the past. So this would be Abel's sin. And, and, and notice it says, through the forbearance of God. Uh, you know, God forbear, in other words, he tolerated, he held back his righteous judgment till Christ offered his own blood. 
to take away the sin of the world. That's, that's what forbearance means. He, he, withheld, he withheld judgment. And so, so we see here, he said, For the mission of sins are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. When Abel brought that offering, he, I believe he understood that this sacrifice will not atone or make me perfect in God's sight, but one day there's going to come, and he, uh, Genesis 3, 16, 15 tells us about this, one day there will be one come that will be the sacrifice that is acceptable and take away my sin. So, so it, the, Abel's sacrifice did not perfect him. It simply recorded, it was recorded and judgment was delayed until Christ came and, and kind of picked up the tab and paid the penalty for the sin in full. See, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the Lamb of God, not the Lamb of the flock. You know, Abel took a lamb of the flock. Moses took lambs of the flock. Children of Israel took lambs out of the flock. Jesus Christ was not a lamb of the flock. He was the lamb of God. He was the lamb of God. You know, all of creation, even the innocent animals, are tainted by sin. Therefore, they cannot atone for sin. Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verse 4, Therefore, by the blood of bulls and boats can never take away sin. But Christ is the fulfillment of one who would bruise Satan's head, Genesis 3.15. He is the fulfillment of Abraham's prophetic statement to Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb, Genesis 22.8. He is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. He is the fulfillment of, of the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53.6. He, he is the lamb as a sheep to the slaughter, Isaiah 53.7. And he is the fulfillment of thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. It is his soul that was an offering for sin. Isaiah 53.10. So this blood of the new covenant, this blood of sprinkling, is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's better than Abel's. It's better than the blood of bulls and goats. So we see the identity of that blood. We see also the efficacy of that blood. And efficacy has the idea of sufficient or capable for the desired result or effect or the remedy. You know, the blood of Abel's offering could not atone for sin. It couldn't take away sin. It only covered it. And God forbear until Jesus came. But John 1, 9, 29 says, Behold the Lamb of God, and the wording is different here. It says, That taketh away the sin of the world. It takes away. You know, we find this wording like this all throughout this book, the book of Hebrews. For example, in Hebrews 9, 26, it says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the world hath he appeared to put away, put away, the sin by the sacrifice of himself. Chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Then said he, Lo, I come to thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that is the first covenant, that he may establish the second over the new covenant, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know, in the, under the old covenant, they had to go in, that the, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies every year and not without blood, to atone for the sins of the people and his own sin. Every year. But not 
we have trusted in Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 14 says, For by one authoring he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. And verse 17 says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God won't remember our sins against us anymore because they're under the blood of Jesus. You know, Psalm 103 verse 12 is really a prophetic statement where it says, As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. There's no end to that. And that statement can only be realized in the person of Jesus Christ, in trusting in him. Your Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know, to wash means to cleanse, it's, or to rid us of the residue of. Friday, I was working to get my lawnmower ready and mow the, la- mow the grass. And I changed the oil in it, and I greased it. You know, I had dirty hands. And so I went into the basement, to the sink, the wash tub, and I have some Dawn there because it cuts grease. And I washed the residue of that oil and grease off my hands. You know, Jesus, when it says he washed us, when it says he washed us from our sins, he washes away our sin. It's not brought up against us again. You see, the blood of Christ makes it possible by our trust and dependence in his death for us to stand in the presence of a holy God as pure as he is pure. You know, the first time I heard this statement, I had to think about it a few minutes. But I heard a preacher say one time, for us to enter into the presence of God or to dwell in the presence of God, we have to be as righteous as God is. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, in which God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, Jesus didn't know any sin, he was a sinless sacrifice, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, in him I have his righteousness. Therefore, I can go right into the very presence of God. Well, of Christ makes it possible. It's an open invitation. You know, Revelation 7, 14 says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, they've been made clean. They've been made whole. They've been made right through the blood of the Lamb. So we see the identity of blood, the efficacy of the blood. Thirdly, there must be an application of the blood. Notice again in in verse... uh, 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, 
that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, there has to be an application. It refers to the blood of sprinkling. And then there's two things here that, as we think about this application, the blood had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. You know, every year the high priest would take the blood of a bullock and he'd enter into the Holy of Holies, but he had to sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies so that the sins of the, you know, that God would cover for, or atone for the sins of the people. If the blood wasn't sprinkled, the sacrifice was of no effect. And in the same manner, Jesus Christ had to sprinkle his blood in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat in heaven. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 23 and 24. Hebrews 9, 23 and 24 says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. So the things on earth were patterns of what is in heaven, and, and, but the ones in heaven have to be purified with better sacrifices. In other words, better blood than Abel's, that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And then verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. He didn't enter into that earthly temple. He didn't go into the holy place in Jerusalem. He didn't go there. That's just a figure of what's in heaven, what is true. But he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. But then must he often from the foundation, suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once and in the world, he hath put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So that blood had to be applied to the mercy seat in heaven. And, and, you know, there are some who would contend that, you know, that blood flowed into the ground. But, you know, if we take the Bible literally, we're talking about things that are in heaven in this context of this passage. And one of the things that's in heaven is the blood of sprinkling. And so is the God, the judge of all. It's the presence of God. But the second thing we must, as we consider the application of blood, we must make this sacrifice for sin our own. It's not enough just to know about it. We have to make it ours. We have to make it ours. Notice verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. So you're come on, and then he's, he's going to list, so you're come unto all these things. Not just Mount Zion, not just to the numerable company of angels, but you're also come to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So you're, 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 he's saying, look, I'm bringing you face to face with the blood of a better offering than Abel's. A blood of a better offering than the high priest's. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And you need to make it your own. You know, for you and I to make the sacrifice of Christ effective to our salvation, salvation of our soul, we must put our trust or our dependence upon the work and the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. That that blood was shed and sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven to deliver me from the penalty of sin, which is death. 
You know, Peter and John would tell the Pharisees, neither is there salvation any other. No salvation any other way. John would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, I am he. I am the sacrifice for sin. I am. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. You see, that, that blood has to be applied. We could say it this way, but as many as received him. Over a year ago, after one of my brothers passed away, a friend of his was talking to my brother-in-law. And they were talk, got talking about the Lord. And, you know, he began to ask some questions. And my brother-in-law said, but, but he must be received. You know, somebody, Jesus, it isn't enough just to know about him. You must receive him as your Lord and Savior. He must be received. And he said, he stepped back. And he said, I never heard that before. See, this sacrifice for sin is no good to you if you don't make it your own. It avails nothing. Just knowing about it isn't going to save you. You have to make it your own. You have to put your trust and dependence in it. On it. And then thirdly and finally, the instrument of approach to God. Notice verses 22 and 23. But you are coming to Mount Zion, under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to the God of the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, he mentions here some things that are written in heaven, or are in heaven, and he talks about the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Now, this is kind of a picture, if you will, of something that which is to come. The general assembly, I'll just give you some definition here. The general assembly means a festal gathering of the whole people to celebrate. That's kind of the idea, a festal gathering. So it's a gathering, it's an assembling together. Of course, the church is an assembly. And he says the church of the firstborn. The firstborn means first begotten. We know that Jesus is the first begotten from the dead. So it's the church of Jesus Christ. And, the, and understand the Holy Spirit here is giving us a heavenly scene of, of the place of God. And, you know, of course, God is not limited to time nor space nor place. Therefore, God sees us, his churches, as seated in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2, 6 says, in heavenly places. And, and so this is a picture of, of that God sees us as that, that will be. And our names are written there in heaven, the place of God. Uh, you know, one day I'll be there making the heavens ring with the hallelujah chorus and the song of the, singing the songs of the Lamb. You know, it's, it's a picture given to us in the present tense for God sees the end from the beginning. But the implication, I believe, here is this, that the institution or the organization or the organism that God uses, that God has given the message of the open invitation to all who would come unto God by him, is his churches. 
We have that message. We have that message. We have a message to the world that come, ye that are, uh, are weary or thirsty, come, and ye that are labor and are heavy laden, come unto the Lord. The Spirit and the bride say, come, Revelation twenty two seventeen. The bride is the churches. The faithfulness speaks of the faithful churches. We're to be faithful in our service to the Lord. We're to be faithful, faithful in giving the gospel He gave. And that means we must not change it. We must not weaken it. We must not make it more acceptable to sinners by dropping like repentance. If we change it, it's no longer His message. You know, if we change it, we are not faithful as his servants in giving his message. You know, the Great Commission was given to his church, and therefore to all churches. You know, John 17, 8 says this, For I have given unto them, that is to his church, unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And in verse 18 it says, As thou hast sent me in the world, even so have I also sent them. You know, Jesus came into the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is the hand. And now he's given to us, his churches, the message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. Let me baptize. Acts 1.8, he told his church, ye are my witnesses. You see, the church, the body of Christ, is the repository of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 says it's a pillar and ground of the truth. A truth that is to be shared with the world. We have a purpose. We are his ambassadors to deliver this message, his message to the world around us, who are in need of salvation. You know, a world that is without Christ is like the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Condemned. In need of a mediator. We're not the mediator, but we are the messenger for the mediator. We're the ambassadors. The churches are the ambassadors. We're the instruments that God desires to use. We're the instruments of others being able to approach the Lord in whom is redemption from sin. So, can a man approach unto the living God? Yes, he can. But only through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not on his own. And we need to take this message to the lost and dying world. For without hope, that is without hope, without God. Are we being faithful? Are you being faithful in giving out the message? Have you been brought into relationship with the Lord?